No, I wasn't. I was clearing my throat and singing at the same time. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Golf Spiritual Leader, along with the Coach Tim. And this is Swing Thoughts. I'm going to say episode 187. What do you think? Bang on, man. Right on. Not usually a numbers guy, but that one I'm on top of. <laughs> and, and if anyone has been paying attention, I've never gotten that right. I don't know why I did today, but welcome, everyone. It took me two years to get my, web, <laughs> my website right. <laughs> I, I got it now. It's, you know, it's O'ConnorGolf.ca. What do you want? It's O'Connor Golf Heritage UK something, right? <laughs> That's right. It's O'Connor.info at org.io. Anyway, welcome, everyone. You know, let's not start off on the wrong foot. Let's just uh, say hi to each other. Uh, as always, this program brought to you by JW Apparel Inc. and of course, Taylor Made Golf, the home of the uh, the Carbon Club. That's what I'm calling it. I'm in the Carbon. Did yours Club. arrive? Yes. Mine too. Uh, you talking about your irons, or are you talking about my driver, my stealth mm, driver? Me too. And I hit it yesterday. How was it? Fun. Yeah, it is pretty fun. <laughs> It's a pretty fun instrument. I uh, picked it up the other day. I haven't hit it. But I mean, I hit it in the simulator when we were fit. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to be leaving today. We're recording this program on the 4th of February, if you're downloading it in the future. Uh, I'm on my way to Palm Springs. And in about 10 days time after I, you know, spend some time being a good boyfriend and like going sightseeing and things, I'll get a chance to hit that outdoors Sometime the uh, second week of February, I'll let you know how it goes. So a little Italian trip. Uh, there's some good good learning there about how to be a good boyfriend on a trip. I don't know. Oh, man. I see you smiling. I, I try. You know, I'm doing my best. Like I think as a boyfriend, I'm, I'm like a solid six. You know, I'm not scratch. I don't even. I don't know about you, but I'm. Not, I, I I wasn't even. I was married for 20 years. I barely got down to a. You know, one or two, but I'm definitely a six as a boyfriend. I do the best I can. How's your response to, hey, there's a really nice museum on the eastern side. How do you respond? I just say yes now. She really loves that stuff. So I just go along. Well, museums are nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, when I met my love, she was the managing director of the Museum of Contemporary Art. So we visit a lot of museums. And I just kind of wander around making this face like I know I just do this I just make faces at the art go oh that's interesting honey oh that, tell me more about that <laughs> when Sandy and I like 36 years ago on our honeymoon in France we'd go we went to the uh, I forget what's officially called but the Impressionist Museum and to the Louvre and <laughs> I just remember standing in front of these incredible works of art and I'd just go cool <laughs> well <laughs> what's your erudite academic assessment of this piece of work cool yeah that's cool well you know at, at first though because we went to a lot of modern art like the moma i've been to uh, mocha i've been to mocha new york and in modern art she got really mad at me because i well i finally stopped doing it because i'm a six because i was doing things like i could have done that a child could have done that that looks like a kid th- got drunk and threw up, and, and that's art. And then she finally said, you know, enough of you. Exactly. Um, so we were in Venice, as you know, and there's a very famous museum there, the Guggenheim, Peggy Guggenheim of the, fa- of the famous Guggenheim family, took up residence in Venice in the 50s and famously was a, a patron of Ed, I was going to say, of, of Pollock. What's his name? 
Pollock, yeah. Is he one of the... Yeah, the... the Jackson Pollock. (laughs) Jackson. I was going to say Ed Pollock. The reason I was going to say Ed is because Ed Harris played Jackson Pollock in a movie I saw. Anyway, I was scoring... sounds like a bus driver. (laughs) I was scoring some huge boyfriend points, like hovering around scratch for the afternoon, right? Because I had been sort of like, yeah, this guy's being enthusiastic. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. And uh, I was doing all right. And I was getting close to scratch as a boyfriend. And then we go around the front of this museum. And the Guggenheim sits right on the ground. Canal of Venice, and famously, go look this up. There's a sculpture of a of a man sitting on a horse, and the man has a boner. <laughs> and, and I I couldn't stop making man on the boner statue jokes, taking pictures of it, sending it to all my friends. And finally, she is like, "Enough!" And she got very angry with me and my immaturity. And then I was then I was back up to uh, in the eighties for that afternoon, which is why I'm a solid six. Oh, anyway, yeah. yeah, it's hard not to um, <laughs> when that stuff just creeps in your head. It's hard not to give voice to it. Well, and the thing is, you know the song uh, "Venice Is Sinking." Do you know that song uh, uh, by Spirit rings, of the West? Rings a bell. Well, I'll tell you what. You give me one more second through the the magic uh, the interweb. Of uh, the demon Spotify. Here we go. The demon. Oh yeah, you uh, played on Apple. A lot of listeners uh, of the uh, Humble and Fred show will know this song. It was a sort of Edge CFNY staple. Uh, really great little tune. Anyway, in this song, unbeknownst to me, I'd been talking about this man riding a horse with a boner. By the way, the horse doesn't have the boner. It's the man. In the song, because I was talking about it on the Humble and Fred show, and somebody said, oh, by the way, in that Spirit of the West song, they mentioned the guy with an erection at the Guggenheim. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I wasn't the first guy to find that hilarious. <laughs> That's in the song? It's in the song. Oh, my goodness. All right. Anyway, this is why I'm not a scratch. Uh, by the way, another thing I want to do today, speaking of scratch, our friend uh, Ken Osborne, uh, oh, yeah. scratch attitude guy, buddy of mine, he's got his uh, book, Play Like Ray, which I've read. I was going to send it to you, but I want to ask his permission because it's uh, he sort of is selling it, but he sort of well, had sent it around to some friends. He's made some edits on it. I got to oh. tell you. I'm glad this, because you know, I'm, I'm a bit scattered today. I'm glad I reminded myself of, but anyway, Ken has changed the name of the book. And I just want to get a little shout out for Ken, and then I'll uh, tweet about it later. But the uh, book, I'm going to tell you, it's only about a 30-minute read, and it's about a, an encounter of a guy who is very frustrated with his golf game, meets a guy, Ray, has a round, and then sort of realizes what's important by watching how Ray conducts himself, a, a chance to model a behavior that he didn't realize was possible, and through that sort of transcends and, and enjoys the game of golf more. Anyway, nice. so it was called Play Like Ray, but he's added some stuff to it. Now it's called The Golfer Who Developed a Scratch Attitude. Unlock the game-changing power of positive emotions and uh, have fun, play well. It's, it's really, really something else. And if you go to uh, Scratch Attitude, I, I don't know exactly the, the URL, but I will also put it up uh, at some point. If you follow me on Twitter, at Humhow. At Hum How, I will put a link in there. Or just look up Ken Osborne, the golfer who developed a scratch attitude. You really love it. 
Cool. I, I, I look forward to reading that. And uh, Kent's got a he's got a cool story. Eh? He went from I think leadership coaching and then said, "I'll try this golf thing." And <laughs> became a scratch. Won his club C. Whoa. I mean, I hate the guy, but there you go. No, I know. He's just, he, he started playing later in life. I mean, he had played a little bit, but he never really tried to, to play golf until later. And then, you know, sort of uh, now Casey's saying, send me the Zoom link. Did we not send Casey any? And can you send it to him? Uh, yeah, I'll try. I'll try. I thought I, I, thought I did the, took care of this like weeks ago. Well, sir, it's okay. Um, today also we'll talk about a little bit about the uh, Super League, whatever that Greg Norman juggernaut is calling itself. And as well, I'm going to check in with uh, our friend Sean Casey. This is what we're trying to do. Sean Casey's a super friend of the show, friend of both of ours for a long time. And uh, we thought we'd check in with Coach Sean about his uh, indoor facility because I'm not sure if anyone's noticed, but it's been pretty cold the last, uh, you know, 30 or 40 days. Very I, just, cold. I just love how smug we Canadians are. It's like, oh, maybe this will be the winter that, you know, <laughs> it misses us. Maybe this will be the year winter forgets about us. And then we go through November, December. We go, oh, yeah, well, you know, winter's not so bad. I remember saying that to somebody. I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then January comes and winter just slaps us all in the head and goes, remember me? Yeah. But, yeah but, OK, let's let's be optimistic here. It's February 4th. Oh, we're yeah. Over the, we're over the hump. Oh, yeah. It, we're, we're, but I, you know, I'm one of those people. I've said it many, many times. I just think that spring should come March first, because March and most of April is just a bunch of mushy stuff, and then you can't play golf. And yeah, it's funny how. Uh, no, I'm I'm totally think we're over the hump. It's just that the, I think a lot of places like Burl Oak Indoor Golf, our friend Sean's place. We're probably a lot of would have been busier this year if it wasn't for the January lockdown. But uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the last few years, it seems to me, and maybe Sean can talk about it, there really has been a rise in interest in indoor facilities. You know, for years I was seeing Sean indoors at his facility, uh, Glen Abbey. There they. The cart barn or whatever, they turn it into an indoor, somewhat of an indoor range. You ever stop by that? It was busy all the time. And oh, yeah. At the Glen Abbey Academy there. But it just seems to me more and more Canadians are enjoying the experience of indoor golf. i got to be honest with you. I've never really found a place I liked until Casey opened his joint because it's just so big. And it's just so it's a lot of there's a lot of square footage. <laughs> Well, look, you look, everybody. There's our friend Sean Sean Casey. Audio check. How we doing? Now you sound fine. Fine. Oh, good. All right. Good stuff. Do you think that uh, the last couple of years, seems to me the last three to five years, has really been an increase in interest in working on your game indoors? It's been unbelievable. If you look at across the GTA, uh, which is, I mean, I really haven't looked outside of that, but Certainly across the uh, greater Toronto area, the amount of indoor golf facilities, I, I would guess it has uh, tripled in the last, during COVID. Unbelievable. So, yeah, yeah it's hu- huge growth with the indoor uh, golf game. Yeah, there's one in the south of Guelph now. There was one for a while. Now there's two. Uh, Mike Grierson, our good friend at um, 
Glenn Karen. He's got I. He's got two spots now. One in yeah. Vaughn. One in Milton. Yeah. If you think about it, guys, I mean, unless like Howard, great to hear you love our facility, but for the most part. Uh, people are not driving across city lines to go do indoor golf. You'll drive across city lines to go, you know, play St. George's or something. Uh, you'll, you'll pass a number of golf courses if you get invited somewhere special. But indoor golf, for the most part, let's assume they have good technology, nice, clean, good-sized bays. For the most part, if you can find one in your neighborhood, you're going to that one, right? Yeah. So yeah. it makes sense that there's a lot of these, and uh, it gives people the opportunity to – to go do their indoor golf, hopefully somewhere not too far from home. And the thing about your place, uh, and I think it's part of the changing nature of indoor practice in general, but it's not just, you know, sort of a dark, dank place with a couple of nets thrown up and, you know, somebody's old, you know, used track man or something. Like, your place is, and I say this, it sparkles, it's bright, it's huge, there's bays, there's track man, there's foresight. But but there's also not just the opportunity to to work on your golf swing. You can actually use the, the, your place for league play, for just to come and have fun playing a golf course. Yeah, you know, we uh, I would say it all stems from and, and think about you got you guys came to the Glen Abbey Academy. Where yeah, yeah, we were talking 20, about it. Twenty years. Um, I felt like when people walked into that academy. They really liked it. They came in. Most people were like, "Wow, good job!" You know, you got a putting green. You, you know, we we did what we could, and it we didn't know any different, and it was it was awesome for us. Um, but when we left there, or when 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 they uh, during COVID, obviously didn't want to they didn't want to run an indoor facility. I don't think anybody wanted to be around other humans indoors at one point. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it made sense. I understood the decision, and it was like, "Oh man, where are we going to go?" Um, and then you start to get the wheels turning, and it's like, well, let's not just duplicate it. Let's uh, let's take what we had there and figure out how we can make it better. And yes, you know, Howard, like you said, brighter. Um, trying to find a place that had some windows, and, uh, and 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 just, you know, what can we do to take what we had there and and build on it? And and that's really what what Burlock Indoor Golf is. It really is the transformation of, of the former Glen Abbey Academy. So you took so you provided a space for a number of your. Uh, golf professional colleagues to come and coach there. Um, you got a lot of great guys there. Ben Ferguson, Nate Robinson. Are you doing coaching as well? I am. And, you know, first and foremost, I, I would say I'm still I'm still an instructor and a coach. I, I, I'm a business owner now, but truly when I built this place, I, I in some ways selfishly also just built it because I, I want to spend the rest of my career teaching uh, and providing the best facility for my own students. And I feel like, not to say I deserve it, but it's it's like, you know, you teach for 20 whatever years, 21 years now. And, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, you know what, the next 21 years, I, I, I want it to be the best. I want it to I don't I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I want the best technology. I want it all. I want to have my my uh, TPI guy under my roof. I want to have my club repair guy under my roof. I don't want to send them three exits down the road. I want it done on the spot. I want to hand those referrals over in person. Hey, come talk to Jeff. So, you know, I want to create this this holistic golf support system that I've always been striving for. But I, I want to have it full time and under one roof. In case you and, deserve uh, it. No, you do deserve so. it. And, 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 you know, you're when I met you, you were a younger man. Now you're getting old like the rest of us. He's got and, gray and everything. <laughs> He does. I remember. I met, kids. I met Casey. Can, I can we do a show, like one show, and I'm talking about my gray hair increase? 
That's great. Dude, you're talking to two guys whose combined age are in the 120s. You know, whatever age you are, we still call that age kid. Yeah, exactly. You do deserve it. What I was going to say is, uh, now I can't remember. Um, No, the fact that the facility is, you've designed it. And when I say it sparkles, it's bright in there. The, the, everything is shiny and new. But it's also, you, you know, I, I wanted to, that's what I wanted to talk about. What, what, what Sean's talking about is uh, Jeff Smeaton, who is a, a great uh, Cairo TPI certified guy. He's there. You can come see uh, his stuff there. And then you've got a golf repair guy. You've got a pro shop. You've got access to pros. But you've also done something in the expansion, because Sean opened a, co- a couple years ago, and already he's expanded. And I was really curious what it was going to look like, but it's really cool. Describe the, you call it the largest indoor short game area in the West GTA. It's really so unique in an indoor environment. I won't lie. The short game was probably the biggest challenge of the whole project. Uh, trying to create something unique. We wanted the experience. I was a little stressed about it because we did a survey of our, uh, our database and said, Hey, we're going to expand. This is what we're thinking check the boxes of of what you'd like to see in there by far and away the most important thing to our database was a a bigger better short game area so i actually scrapped one of the sims i was going to have more simulators over there i was going to have six and i got rid of that six one went with five to expand the the design of the short game area but then to follow through and uh and make it something that that they would enjoy it was a little stressful. Uh, yeah. You got to think you're, you're chipping indoors. You, what's that going to feel like? And there's a like, window, and there's a window. There's a window on one side of the chipping area. But I noticed that you've, you've sort of made it clear, like that's not for noobs. Okay, you can't go over there if you are still sculling and blading the shit out of stuff. Yeah, chip away from the window, away from yeah, the window. It somehow we're uh, so far so good. Uh, no damage done. And uh, we did put a little net over it, and it seems to be doing the trick. I don't know how many balls have actually even hit the net, but uh, we will tell you. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's just it's worked out really well. And the challenge building a short game that big, one of them is the sloping. You're trying to get some slope. We we've, we had a flat green for many years, and now it's like all right, we want some slope. We want to do some green reading and work on some different slope percentages and be able to teach aim point and all that. So um, that was a big challenge trying to design the slopes in nicely. Uh, the designer, uh, Brett from Southwest Greens, he thought I was getting a little, little wild with my sloping, but, uh, you know, this, I didn't want this to be your standard run around putting green that you see anywhere. I want it to be special and it does slope up in one spot to 3%, which is quite a bit, but, uh, I want to be able to help somebody learn how to, you know, aim three inches outside the hole on a four footer and, and have the guts to send it out there, you know, one cup out to the right on a short putt and let it come back. So I want to have that experience, but uh, it really did come together nicely. It was a lot more work than I thought. The amount of time and, and hours that the Southwest guys came and kept coming back and, and me saying, guys, I need this a little better, need that a little better, trying to smooth it out. We had it all done. We rolled the whole green back up, redid the base because I wasn't happy with the smoothness of it. Um, and they were great. They, 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 uh, we, we ultimately got on the same page with the standards and where we wanted it to end up. And I'm really happy with, uh, with the end product. So it's, it's awesome. People love it. Oh, that, that's terrific, Sean. Uh, and I've been in there. Howard and I have both been in there, and uh, it's so cool. Like you said, um, a lot of those, those old-style places were kind of dark, and it just wasn't a place, I think, that you wanted to really hang around too much. No, exactly. They were kids. dingy. The guy who met you at the door was like that guy in Diagon Alley and Harry Potter, you know? It's like, huh? <laughs> 
I'm not here to buy a wand. I just want to. Yeah. Uh, I do want to ask you, Sean. I'm sorry, Tim, are you going somewhere? I, I just thought, uh, I, I think we can't really leave this without talking about, shall we say, the evolution of the um, of the technology. Maybe speak to how much uh, that has played into the popularity of going in in the winter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our, our people at Glen Abbey used to be happy heading to a net. Yeah, exactly. Let's be honest. They, they came in there. They came in, a lot of them, daily and, and, and hit balls into a net um, and happy. Uh, but the expansion, as Howard mentioned earlier, you know, we, we expanded already. We doubled the size of the place. And, and, and the short game, as we just talked about, was a big part of that. But really the original, my vision of why we expanded was to get more technology. We More big hitting bays where you could swing a driver and feel comfortable swinging a driver at full speed indoors. So I want to be big. And I wanted to get, you know, good feedback and take your pick, TrackMan or Foresight. They're both awesome. We have them both. But I went with TrackMan in the expansion because uh, mostly because of the I felt at the time or right now, the playability is uh, is, is great. It's got more courses and they got the Pebble Beach and they got the graphics and, you know, Foresight, I know, is working on uh their competitors and Foresight's working on their graphics soon. It's going to be a tough call. But anyway, the track man uh, with the big bays over there, absolutely. Everybody comes in. They, they love it. There's there's way more to that track man software, I'll tell you guys, than I'm guessing even you know. And even I know. Every time I meet with the rep, he's like, he's like, uh, you know, have you done this yet? And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, you guys just keep expanding the, uh, the broadness of what this software can do. It's so much fun. But... Uh, yeah, and, and there's there's more to come. I'll, I'll quickly say next year, Foresight product that I'm looking at putting in. Um, I don't want to promise it, but I'm, I'm very, very likely going to pull a trigger on the putt view. And maybe you guys have seen it where yeah, there's I've lines seen it. that get... Um, they get projected uh, a, onto the green. That's right. Projected yeah, it's awesome. down onto the green. So, yeah, I'm going to have putt view uh, installed on that new putting green. And people are going to be able to, to do like aim point type stuff where they, just like you see on TV, where the line of the biggest break, if you go uh, dying speed, you're going to go way out. It's just going to trickle in the, the, the edge of the hole. Or it's like, here's your low line. If you want right. to take the speedy line and, and hammer it. You could make it on this line and then everywhere in between. So. And to my knowledge, John, I don't think anyone else, from what again, from what I know of, I don't think anyone else indoors has that that product. But it is cool. I've seen it. Yeah, I'm excited about uh, that addition. So that'll be the next one. But yeah, the technology is uh, is certainly a big part of what what's going on here, and it's what makes uh, makes it a great experience. One of the cool things I think that about the advent of TrackMan, all that, is that now when you're working with a coach or by yourself, you have numbers. And yeah, you could go do a rabbit hole of numbers. But I think the key thing is, is that you can actually see what's happening. So rather than trying to adjust your form, which often people get off track, you know, oh, I'm just I'm not positioning myself here. When you get the actual numbers, now you've got something you can actually see that your club face is it's closed or your or your path and i just think that that is just such a, a a great advance for both the student and for the coach yeah we're starting to see a lot more of our students and, and clients around here buy time on the on the track man for and put on the driving range and they're starting to understand which parameters of the say 48 they can put up you know uh, through their lessons 
you know, I know Ben, who's outside uh, my office here giving a lesson right now. Ben uses TrackMan every lesson. His students get used to which parameters he puts up on the screen during their lesson. Right. They know they know he wants them to be, let's say, one degree inside out or whatever. Um, yeah, so we're starting to see our students um, rent the TrackMan and uh, and put up those those parameters like path, like you said, Tim, and uh, and get some feedback and get some better practice in. And let's talk a little bit about you know, a couple of things before we let you go. There's two things I want to have you comment on. One is a lot of Canadians are like, okay, that indoor golf seems fun for a few months, but uh, I mean, most of us want to be outside as much as we can. So, because I noticed here, you're, you're going to be open year round. And uh, just before you came on, we were talking about how cold it's been and how, you know, indoor golf has exploded because of, you know, people are finally, you know, putting money into facilities like yours. So two questions. What do you say to the person who says, well, why would I join Burlogue Indoor Golf when come basically the middle of April till the end of October, I can go outside, number one. And on the same question, just... How effective is working on your game indoors? I don't think a lot of people who haven't tried it understand just how much growth you can make indoors versus during the golf season. Because for me, once the end of March comes, I'm done dicking around with my swing. I said that to you the other day. I said, when I get back from Palm Springs, we'll have a check-in, but I'm not working on it come April 1st. So what would you say to all of that? First of all, I understand that. And uh, myself and, and the other instructors here at Burlock Indoor Golf are all affiliated with uh, an area club link course. I will be happily teaching outdoors at Rattlesnake Point uh, this summer. Awesome facility, and I'm excited to be back there. Um, having said that, you know, indoors, first of all, we all know that it seems to go from winter to blazing hot in Ontario. Uh, it's just like the spring, the perfect little summer day, you might want to call it, in the low 20s. It doesn't seem to last. And then next thing you know, it's 38 Humidex. So um, now some people are fine with that, and I understand that. But there's a lot of people that uh, don't like that that real heat. So, you know, we think that the indoor experience could be part of their, of their golf experience summer, where people might choose to, in the real heat of the day, uh, still want to work on their game. So they might come here and uh, and do a TrackMan combine or work on their yardages and get some feedback. One thing, now, yes, yeah, some golf courses have great golf balls on the range, but a lot don't, let's be honest. And, you know, hitting a good golf ball into a TrackMan and getting your, your carry yardages is going to be far more accurate to, your, to getting feedback on your ball flight than going to a driving range with beat-up balls. So, you know, a better player understands that. And uh, we certainly see the data that better players do come to indoor facilities to get feedback because they struggle to find outdoor environments where they can hit good golf balls and get good feedback for their uh, for their ball flight. So, you know, rain days, cold days, super hot days, players that want accurate feedback. You know, there's a number of reasons why we, we think we're going to do well in here this summer. We don't uh, have any illusions of, of, of it being as busy as the winter, but uh, we're going to keep the lights on and uh, flip it from heat to AC <laughs> cool the pl- and uh, cool the place down a little bit and give people uh, a- another option on, on a super hot or cold or rainy day. And what about the idea of your... And, the, and I really, this is the best time, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just have you say, like, if you're, tr- if you're working on your game... Now's the time to do it. 
and and Burl Oak Indoor Golf has got such great facilities as we've mentioned. But talk a little bit about how you can grow what you're working on indoors away from the feedback of watching the ball flight. I mean, outdoors. Well, I mean, I think every day of my life, it seems probably every few minutes, I think about delayed gratification. It's just a huge part of uh, of my being. But uh, you know, you are certainly somebody, Howard, that is. Uh, willing to delay your gratification and you understand the value in and 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 putting in the effort and and swinging those speed sticks and dedicating a good chunk of your house to your golf development yes and, and, uh, all right yes by the way i did you i have to tell you both of you because you know me i broke a sweet a speed stick i broke one. Oh my goodness <laughs> jesus uh, oh, I'm the only person that could do it indoors. I literally snapped the green shaft the other day because I, I had a, a mic stand. I was using to hold my head in place, and I forgot where it was. And I swung back, and I snapped the weight off. And I just looked well, at only it. Only you. I know. Yeah. Anyway, Contact I got a hold of speed, I got a hold of Ryan there at Speedstay. I've actually had to order a single a single replacement. Yeah. I anyway, please continue. You're the first person to break one of those things, but uh, <laughs> I know it's um. But yeah, I, I think you know a lot of people do understand that with golf, you gotta you gotta put in the reps, and this is your opportunity to do it. You know, if you ever want to get past thinking about your golf swing on the golf course or overthinking it, um, you've got to get those reps in and, and get that get that feel so it becomes something that's comfortable and holds up under pressure. And you know, the winter is the time to do that. That's your that's your opportunity here in the north. Is uh, is is that we kind of have that opportunity to grow our love for the game let those passions get you know we get so excited about golf season because we have our winner and uh, it's an opportunity to to dig in and and improve so yeah absolutely unfortunately not say unfortunately i mean everybody's got their own uh sort of a way of going about their golf but there's uh, so many people we know that are gonna call in the spring for their lessons they're yeah. gonna say all right i want my year to get off to a great start i'm gonna sign up for uh four lessons in may and uh, you know and immediately you're kind of telling them look we're, we'll make the most of this we'll get maybe do some short game or try to do some quick fixes on your swing get it ready for season but i'm already telling them, like look you got to come in next winter you know and try to get them uh thinking about that but there's a lot of people that will obviously not do that well listen man um for a lot of reasons and not the least of which and i, and I think we both are such fans of yours personally and, and if anyone deserves this to work it's you man um a lot of people will be interested in your success and be cheering for you and and uh, the two of us are definitely big uh, big fans burl oak indoor golf how would you like people to come and contact you yeah, BurlokeIndoorGolf.com. Uh, uh, my, my email is SeanCaseyGolf at gmail.com or the uh, SKC at clublink.ca. So, yeah, I'm here. I'm, uh, yeah, you know, the big thing is, is my, I appreciate what you're saying about, about me and deserving this, but really it's, I've always felt like take care of business, take care of the people, and, uh, you know, and I get to take care of in return, so to speak. But I, it's really a focus on, on uh, trying to create a great experience for our, our people. Okay, and uh, if, if if our people are happy, uh, then I'm going to be happy. So, but just understand right. that. Just look into the future. This is you. Uh, this gray shit. It never goes away. 
It just gets worse. It's funny. Like, I swear, I, I see more dark than gray. I don't know what you guys are looking at. All right. Okay. Well, maybe you'll be the only one. Sean yeah, Casey, everyone. looking so good. Exactly. Burlow Indoor Golf. Go check Thank it you out. Thanks, guys. Thanks, my friend. Shawnee, I'll see you when I get back. Beauty. Have fun down there. Thanks, pal. Do, do. Yeah, you know, uh, some guys say, and I don't want to discourage you, but a lot of people who are working on their golf swing, I'm not saying it's too late. I'm just saying, like, if you're not working, I, I literally start at the end of each year. That's when I do sort of November, December. I start to break it down and decide what is, what is the one thing I could maybe change over the winter because it's so hard, right? Are you talking about like a technical thing? A technical like, thing, Stop yes. taking it so inside. Whatever that thing is. Yeah. But I try not to dick around with it too much during the season. But as soon as it's over, I start like, I, I probably mess around more with my swing and, you know, the later stages of when you can still play outdoors. But, you know, I mean, you know, and I, listen, you, you, you coach people all the time. and it, It's really hard to make a technical adjustment. You need oh, to go yeah. in and rep it. And for the longest time, I was, you know, doing it indoors. I'd go to Glen Abbey, and he's right. I would go there a couple times a week, and you were just hitting into a wall. In fact, that old facility he had, he had one sort of simulator. I don't even think it was Foresight. But anyway, the point is, in in the indoor season is the best time to address whatever little thing you think you can change. Because, yeah, to your point, it, it takes time. You've been, if you've been swinging a certain way for uh, decades, <laughs> it's going to take a long time to make that change. I mean, it's the delusion that so many people have in golf is they see something on YouTube where they read something and they go to the range on Friday and they go, whoa, they're pretty good. And next day they think that they've got it. Sorry, you don't. It just takes a long time. It's like the things that, you know, Roy McElroy has been working on in October. They sort of start to come to fruition in March and April. Yeah. And you think about uh, those guys when they're addressing a technical issue. <clears throat> excuse me. They're they're repping it hours and hours a day under supervised, you know, conditions, you know, whether Absolutely. they're working directly with their coach every day, but they're. They're working against a ideal every day, whereas the rest of us, you know, I think you just said it perfectly. You know, we see something shiny on a YouTube video or an Instagram thing. I'm, I'm as guilty as, of that as anyone. I quickly go and run into my lab and I go, well, what would this do? You know, I've taken some less. I work with Sean. Off and on, I go down there and, and I just, like I saw him a couple weeks ago. I said, uh, hey. I'm about to go away for a month. I just want you to have a look at what I'm what I'm working on, what we're working on, and where do you think it is? And so I sort of left that going, okay, there's a couple things I can focus on when I'm down south. And then when I get back, I'm going to say, well, that's it. I mean, basically, at the end of March, I don't want to be worrying where my, you know, what... And I'll tell you the thing, I'll, in case you're curious, the one thing I have worked on the hardest this winter is my setup because that doesn't hurt me. You know what I mean? I don't don't hurt my back. I'm not swinging at full speed. I just work on my setup every day, just making sure the ball's in the right spot. That my my tilt. I'm really. I've tried to get a little stronger this winter. That's what I have worked on. But I've tried to get stronger so that I can hold the tilt through the swing better, as opposed to that feeling we all have. A lot of us have of standing up through the ball. A lot of that comes from my 
you know, sort of a weak core. So anyway, that's what I'm working on. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, similarly, I've been working on on my setup, and you were talking about when the last time we talked. You, you talked about using um, I forget what it's called, photo booth on yes, your Mac. On my I've, got uh, a, I've got a tripod, and so what I've been doing is been setting it up um, and doing um, taking videos of myself down the line chipping. <laughs> And face on. Yeah. And just the point I wanted to make was, um, you remember a couple of years ago when you and George McNamara did the intervention yes. <laughs> with me? And the thing that George first noticed when I first went to him to ask, hey, what's going on? Because I was really suffering the left to lefts off the tee. What he noticed was that my head was behind the ball. And so when I started to just check my setup a couple of weeks ago, head still behind the ball. So I'm still working on moving my, getting myself more forward so that there's a, if you take a line and it goes up and I'm still a little bit confused a little bit, how on top of the ball I need to be. Cause if I, now if I take a line on the V one and go straight from the ball, straight up, it kind of intersects just kind of like my left ear. And I'm looking at videos and saying, okay, where's Rory got yeah, the ball? Yeah. But I tried, you know, it's so we're so we're all so the same. I would just say from a technical point, you know, you uh, comparing yourself to the best in the world is not the, is not always the best idea. But technically, as long as your head sort of occupies a sphere, like it doesn't go way off one way or the other, you're probably OK. Yeah, but this again, to our main point, this is something that is so rather than working on something like what I'm doing with my right elbow, working on my setup, that's something that I can get if I right. get in my reps. And I do it like every day. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like working on my setup in my mirrors and with my computer. Yeah, I take the odd swing. But mostly this is the longest. Speaking of the weather, this is the longest. I mean, statistically, it's one of the longest stretches of cold weather we've had. But it is the longest stretch I've had without physically hitting a golf ball outside. Oh yeah, with because your, normally with the, around. yeah in the dog area I go, I can hit wedges, and there's always a thaw. Not when the snows like this. <laughs> I've even hit it. Yeah, now now we go out there. I'm like both of us. I'm on snowshoes. Anyway, um, but working on your setup is something that you can do, and you know, as you said, you videotape it or whatever. But it doesn't. It is a tangible thing you can be aware That's of, it. because to be honest with you. And I, I'm teaching golf is one of the hardest things, I think, because it takes so many repetitions to change a small thing. And that most men and women in the age category that listen to the show, 45 to 70, you know, they're not going to do that. They're, you're just not going to make that much of a difference. Yeah, exactly. But I think you can res- do something like respond, say, to a target. That whole external focus thing that, our friend Mike Marks has talked about um, Gabriel Wolf, who we had on the show years ago, having an awareness of swinging to a target that that can help. But I'm right with you, man. If you're trying to do something different with your right knee and shift your weight and all that stuff, that's that's so, so hard. It can be done, but you need an extraordinary amount of time. And generally, you need. Uh, someone who's watching you do it yeah. and giving you really accurate feedback. But hey, I gotta can't let this go. I gotta come back. Um, 
take me through us through the experience of uh, your little uh, issue with your speed stick. Oh no, it wasn't done out of anger. <laughs> I know it was, but I've as someone who's damaged uh, drywall. Oh yeah, yeah, broken that. a lamp, uh, an overhead. Oh my god, put a uh, dent in my parents' love seat. Oh yeah, I mean this is traumatic stuff. Well, my whole that whole room. At, at one point, I had mattresses against the wall, and I was firing full-on golf swings, and I was there's holes all over the drywall. I stopped doing that. Again, you know, at the behest of my girlfriend, she's like, do you really think that's the best? No, I, I, I was uh, working on something, speaking of, of heads, I was working on something with Sean, and I've been working on this for a couple years. Just trying to do something where I, I keep my head similarly, not not same as you, but in a, in a similar thing, trying to keep it more centered, but centered when I hit the ball, because I tend to sort of extend and move away with my head sometimes. And that was, so, oh, was that the moose, moose humping? Or no, no, goat, goat humping. humping. <laughs> it's part of the goat humping experience. <laughs> and uh, a lot of, I mean, technically it's called early extension, but I call it goat humping. Anyway, so we were working on this last time where he was holding a, uh, something against my head. And I said, I wonder how I could figure this out in my golf lab. But I'm in a studio here and we've got lots of spare radio and broadcast equipment. So I went downstairs, got a mic stand. And it's full on. It's like seven feet tall. And I got the, the arm part and I put it against my head and I took swings with it and I recorded it to see if my head could stay there. So I had put it aside and I was doing my speed training and I got the green out and I just took a backswing and it snapped against the arm of the the mic stand. And I just looked at it. I'm like, that is hilarious. <laughs> this broke a speed stick. Who does it's that? shocking too, but it's shocking too, isn't it? Because I'm sure you're just swinging, and all of a sudden, what? Oh, I know. <laughs> and, and at first, it didn't break. I was like, "Oh, that's a drag." And then I just looked at went, "Oh, it doesn't seem to be too bad." And then it literally, like in slow motion, just dropped off. You know, <laughs> the shaft just broke. Oh, that's hilarious. We we need to do a show. I think actually we did one years ago where we get people on to talk about uh, the injuries they've done to their houses, do swinging swinging indoors. Um, I, I used to have a George Newton swing trainer and we gutted our kitchen back in our, our first house. And uh, the only thing in there is our stove and the George swing, George Newton swing trainer uh, molded grip, about 18 inch shaft and a weight on the end. So you just swing it through the winter and I'm in the, and so we've got lots of space here. I'm swinging the thing. All of a sudden, whack. Mm-hmm. I look back. I've taken about a, a loony size chip of paint and dented nice. the top of the stove. And I just thought, oh my God, I am in so much trouble. <laughs> and, and, sorry. and when Sandy got home, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, I just like little boy. Oh my God. And she just started laughing. She just went, you're sick. Yeah, there's something you're wrong with us. sick. You know, for the longest time next to my bed in my matrimonial home, uh, in case there was an intruder, I had uh, uh, this old golf trainer thing was just basically a grip and a weight. <laughs> so if you came, <laughs> the joke used to be, if you came in and tried to do anything in our house, I was going to show you how to work your backswing. I was just be like, this is what I, because I, I couldn't hurt anyone with it. Um, listen, we don't have a whole lot of more time. Uh, you wanted to talk about a little bit about the Super League of Golf, the Greg Norman led Saudi golf mm-hmm. concern. Uh, just before we came on this morning, I read some story about Bryson DeChambeau denying he's been offered 
$135 million. Earlier in the week, there was rumors that Ian Poulter had been offered $30 million. And yeah. DJ, I loved uh, Dustin Johnson's reaction. He was kind of like, he was offered $30 million? Like, almost like, what would I be worth then? <laughs> if Ian Poulter's worth 30 well, it's somewhere between 30 and 135 What are your thoughts? Um, it's, wow, I, I think there's a lot more interesting stuff to come. Um, I mean, and, and, and initially I was going, cause this is a Saudi back thing and I don't want to lend any credence to, you know, the Saudi government and, you know, it's I, a lot of stuff of that culture that really scares me. But, um, then I started thinking like, um, and it was from the Lee Westwood interview that I thought was cool. And he was, even though he signed an NDA, he chirped a bit. And one of the things that's interesting is they're going to bring a team golf element into it. And part of it is, of course, is that the Ryder, why is the Ryder Cup every two years so riveting team golf? And I coach a university team. And what makes that, again, so compelling, so exciting is the team element. So it'll be interesting to see. And Lee Westwood made an interesting point that I resonated with. And he says he doesn't watch much regular golf. You know, if he's not playing in a major, he might watch, watch it on Sunday because it's week after week of uh, mostly four rounds, stroke play. And it can get a little dull, yeah. a whole lot dull. Uh, particularly when you've got things like, well, this week you've got, you know, wh- how many top 50 players do we have in Pebble Beach? Maybe seven. And the rest, of course, are lured off to to Saudi Arabia. But so that team golf thing I find very interesting. And initially I was really against in a major way. But now I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens. And it's not a bad thing when upstart leagues come up. They can really make things better. When the AFL came along, it made the NFL better. The NHL got better with the WHA. So it, it's I'm, I'm sure at the PGA Tour headquarters right now, they're going apeshit. But it's, it, it's pretty interesting to see what's going to happen. Well, that's a lot to uh, unpack. Um, rather than respond to that, I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, I'm more interested in what you think. No, I, I'm... I think initially there was a, it's you know when when anything new comes along our 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 reaction whether it's the truck convoy or yeah. the covid anything new comes into human beings lives it's just easier to say no and the reason no is the easiest thing to say even from a sales standpoint why is no so hard to overcome because when you're trying to sell something to somebody it's just easier if they go ah, no, I don't like that I don't want to do that. I throw a little Norm McDonald at you. Ah, I don't want to do that. Uh, it seems like I'd have to learn something. You know, no one wants to learn or do anything new. That's why the most the most magical thing that can happen to adults is when somebody cancels plans. It's like, oh, that's great. I don't have to do that. Because is there anything better than doing nothing? I know this is a long way. To, you're like, why does this have to do with his new golf league? Well, you because... You take this to golf swing stuff, but no, keep going. But... Absolutely. Human nature is to, you know, to be against the new and try and find reasons why the old is the best. But some of what you say is, is very true. I mean, you know, people could argue that the WHA 
really just benefited players and by bringing their salaries in line to what they should have been paid. Bobby Hall was famously paid $1 million. This was in the mid-1970s, $250,000 a year to leave the NHL. And that's a lot of money back in that time. Mm -hmm. So if anyone's thinking that these players aren't considering these huge amounts of money that they're being thrown around... Then they talk about, well, what about your your legacy against the best players in the world? And again, to your point that the everyday, week in, week out PGA Tour event isn't all that compelling. I watch every Sunday afternoon, almost without fail, because I love the idea of there being a winner or loser of a championship every week. Now, I won't watch most tournaments Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I will the majors, but Sunday afternoon, I know between three and seven, there's going to be something compelling happen in the world of golf. Agreed. But there is a little bit of like, I think there's some confusion like if, because both the PGA Tour and the DP Tour, all right, the former European Tour have said they'll ban their players. They'll ban them if they join the league, but the four majors are not under the purview of those tours. 100%. So a player might think, well, listen, how many John Deere, Pebble Beach pro-ams do I give a shit about winning? As long as they can still play in the Masters and the other majors, you know, I think that's going to determine some of the players thinking of going. Like, Nick, you, you mentioned Lee Westwood, Phil Mickelson. Very interesting okay. article. Yep, absolutely. You know, his quote was, the PGA Tour has an obnoxious amount of uh, greed. And I was like, well, really? How do you... F-? And then you go and read that the PGA Tour owns the player's images, rights. You know, when he was telling the story about that yeah. match, he had to pay a million dollars to use the images of his own golf swings, et cetera, et cetera. So there's... there's as, as Shakespeare famously said, Tim, there are more Ooh. things in heaven and earth and are dreamt about in your philosophy. There are things going on that that we don't really know yet, but ultimately might actually be good for us, the viewers, because, hey, listen, if it's a choice between, and again, taking nothing away from these smaller tournaments, and I love watching these young kids play, but if it's a choice between watching, you know, Shambo, Dustin Johnson, and, and a group of players at that level play some international tournament on a Sunday afternoon. And there's nothing, there's no contest to what I want to watch. I want to watch the best players playing against each other. Yeah, more absolutely. often. And, yeah, and one of the things that um, hit me, you know, has been reading stuff, including the Phil Mickelson stuff, is um, for years, I mean, you look at the astounding amount of money that players in other in major sports make exactly football baseball basketball it's 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 insane you know i i think it's ridiculous ridiculous but no but your point let me just jump back in if you're the dustin johnson of baseball you're automatically making 30 million a year from your team exactly and never, and then pile on endorsements. Like, how much money do people really need? But that is the that is what's going on. They're they're looking at these other people, and then like they put in just as much work, much that all that kind of stuff, and the, the the money they make is just nowhere near what these other folks are making. So, you know, it, uh, you know, as Phil Mickelson said, you know, how much is greed at work here? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's another thing to talk about. But 
when someone's waving something different. And what's really interesting, too, is that I was initially uh, – my hackles sort of came up, if you will, because it was Greg Norman. I can't stand Greg Norman. And, you know, it, it's just – in terms of like a, a a selfish person – there you go. I said it. Um, but um, it's just something about that dude. But I think he's bringing up some important stuff about making well, the game more international, um, allowing these guys to, to, to ba- basically to get more value out of their, their skill, what they bring as an entertainer. Yeah, let me just jump back in, that. if I can, for Greg Norman. Listen, Greg Norman was right. I, I used to love Greg Norman as a player, and I know as a guy he's kind of prickly and he has a... But you can't argue with Greg Norman was right 30 years ago or 25 years ago when he brought this up then about an international flavor, it, it created the um, WGCs, the World Golf, whatever that thing is. Is that, is that right? I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I think you're I think you're right. No, on. but I'm I saying mean, he, whether whether you can draw a straight line, I don't World, know. But yeah, no, but what is no, what is the name of that thing? WGC World WGC Golf World Golf Championships were created because of Greg Norman and and, and those have become the secondary big marquee events to the majors. So he did that. Yeah. And now here he is, you know, stirring stuff up again because, and I want to address something. Yes, this World Golf League may have trouble making inroads in the States initially because of the local nature of Americans. They're going to want to support their local, you know, Ohio Memorial, all these things. But internationally is where this Saudi money is going to be spent because internationally golf is so much more popular than it was when Greg Norman first poked his head up and said, Hey, maybe we should do something different. He was vilified for it. And yet they went off and created these world golf championships, which have been great for the game. And the first thing you said though, is everyone's bringing this up. Well, you know, I don't know if I want to take, you know, the Saudis and their international reputation about how they treat women and how they go about their business. Yeah, but we're okay with Americans killing, I don't know, some say a couple hundred thousand people looking for weapons of mass destruction that didn't didn't ever show up. So we're okay with that. It's just funny yeah, how yeah. we all pick and choose the and and part of the vilification of the Saudis is deserved, but it's also partly because they're foreigners. You know what I mean? So there's and some of that weird. all they, all wrapped and they up dress in weird and, exactly. They're foreigners. Yeah. They're you know there's, there's a lot of that in the pushback against this. And I've read it. That guy who writes. I really like this writer too. Uh, Eamon Lynch writes in Golf uh, Digest or Golf uh, Golf Week. Whatever. He's a good golf guy. Week. I like his reading. Golf Week. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's good. But his yeah. that's sort of his pushback. You know his uncomfortableness with the Saudis, and I'm like, yeah, but you're comfortable with the Americans, and you know, look what they do. So, all by way of saying, I think in the end, there's going to be this isn't going away, and and I know we've talked about it before, but when we talked about it before, I think we were doing that old guy thing. I don't know, some new stuff now. When when is that on? (laughs) I mean, those guys in the Muppets are always in the. the (laughs) Well, you know what I mean? It's like, I was like, I don't want to keep track of another thing. Do I have to keep track? You know, like uh, the same thing with this uh, new craze that people are doing the wordle every day. I'm like, no, I don't care. I don't care to solve a puzzle in five letters. I don't care about it. And then the New York Times buy it, and then they then they infer they might put it behind a paywall. Great! And, oh my God, don't do that! I'm at the age now where I'm pretty sure 
I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be doing anything with the following. Wordle, Bitcoins, or NFTs. I know what they are. I just don't care about them. What about crossword puzzles? I love crossword puzzles. They're known to keep your brain active. Yeah, yeah. And word off yeah i'm just talking about learning new things like i yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. what this saudi thing or this golf thing is all a, it's all wrapped up in that human this kind of comes full circle human nature is to resist change and now back to what you know you do and what i'm doing here on this show is talking to people about making changes and uh and i want to just float if we can leave the saudis behind for a bit to float this notion to you and it's the notion of doing little things often. It's part of the uh, Pathways to Par seminar. I've introduced this phrase recently, LTOs. And LTOs are little things often. Oh, yes. And, uh, and that's what golf is. It's an amalgam of doing a lot of little things all the time. Not always, as, as Case said, you know, we want instant gratification. And, but golf is delayed gratification. Not only in how you swing a golf club. Because the gratification of learning to do it better takes thousands of repetitions, which is why, and you've said this famously, we all do, you know, we get a, uh, a swing thought on Friday, we try it out Saturday, the first three holes, it works great. As soon as it doesn't, we're on to something else. But golf is, if by its nature, is a, an amalgam of things, little tiny things that add up to an overall better outcome. What do you think about that? You're bang on, uh, golf spiritual leader. Thank once you. again, you've. I think you continue to ascend to another level. I'm, I'm really. I don't even recognize myself. <laughs> and I'm just trying. To, I'm just trying to keep up best I can. Well, you know but what? You're doing okay. <laughs> thanks, thanks. That's encouraging. What you're saying is backed by so much research. Now is that you're better off to to do, like you think. What was that? Little things often, even to do. Uh, Rather than having to go to the gym three times a week for, say, like an hour, and then it takes – that's hard sometimes to work into a schedule. Mm-hmm. You can actually do a really good workout in about seven minutes. Yep. You could do that every day. You get it done. And the same way in you can work on elements of your golf game, like your the setup you talked about. Yep. It, it would take like five minutes. To, whether you do it in a mirror or you have like a, your iPhone or something or whatever to check your setup. Five minutes a day. And like I talked about two weeks ago, before I come into my office every day, I hit 20 chip shots. That's I do like five with pitching wedge, five with left hand with my 54, five with right hand 54, both hands. That's 20 shots every day. Do that Monday to Friday. That's 100 chip shots a week. Yeah. It just it's and it takes me five minutes. And it just keeps me connected to what's going on, you know, little things often. And, and um, that's – there's all kinds of – good. Uh, there's uh, Tiny Habits book out there, Atomic Habits. The reason this stuff is popular because it uh, – I hate to say it, but it works. Well, and, and – and I know uh, I think we talked a couple of weeks ago. And, my, and by the way, thanks to everyone that reached out to me after my, uh, you know, yeah. decade certification. I've had several great conversations with some STDs. Uh, a few people have uh, engaged my um, sherpa. I'm, I, you know, the, I, I, I'm sort of stealing this from a friend of mine, the retirement sherpa. But I was sort of telling one guy, I said, listen, I'm just like the decade sherpa. I, I've, I've gone through it. So maybe I can help you pick out a few things that help me. But in having those conversations, and, and I, what I've done is I'm, I've actually gone back and started 
the entire program again because cool. I want to go through it sort of with the guys that I'm helping and then I'm sort of going through it like quicker like I've got uh, the videos on uh, one and a half speed but I'm just taking notes and reminding myself of some of the things I think they're important but I just want to leave you with this notion I'm not leave you but I want to just float this notion so knowing that golf is about doing little things all the time I was having this conversation with somebody about the value of a bogey to an average player and why it and, and it sort of ties in with what we're talking about. Because we all have this notion at a certain level, and I'm talking about when you're in the sort of getting down to single digits, you know, you start to go to 11, 10, 9, 8. So you're an 8 handicap. And, and on, on, on an average hole, that's pretty tough. It may not be the number one handicap hole, but a, a bogey for most of us, we think that's a loss of a full shot. And knowing that it, that feeling of, oh, I've bogeyed the hole, I've lost a shot. But if, you're took, if, you're, if you took your handicap against your peer group, that bogey isn't a full shot. It's a, it's a percentage of a shot. And, and the reason it's important to know that is on the way to that, sometimes we try and make par when we're out of position thinking bogey is a bad thing. But bogey is only, a, you know, four-tenths of a shot loss. Or a five, you know, it may only be half a shot loss. But if you feel like you've lost a full shot, now you're trying to, you know, scramble to do something and you end up losing more than half a shot. You make a double bogey. Now it's a full, now it's a full shot. The point that I'm trying to make is against your peer group, making bogeys doesn't hurt you. It's a little thing, but the more bogeys you can make instead of doubles, the more often you can do that over the course of a round, it adds up to lower scores. And over the course of the season, it adds up to lowering your handicap. But you have to know that that bogey, that little thing that you did instead of the double at the handicap level we're talking about, you know, 8 to 12, man, that's such a big thing because of the statistical variability of the game, right? I know yeah, that was absolutely. a long... I know that was a long... No, no. What I like about that is is that it helps people to understand how their perceptions color their approach to the game yes. and their view of themselves and how because and that's one of the values of I think that people are starting to understand about analytics is that it changes their perception. It's becoming more common knowledge to people that PGA tour players make fifty percent of their eight footers. Yeah. Well that changes your perception perhaps of your yourself and your competency. You know, because if you if you miss a lot of eight footers, well, you know, it doesn't mean your putting stroke sucks and you're you know, you're you're a choke artist. No, it just means you're going to miss your your share of them, and and so I think perception is such a an important thing, and that's what those numbers allow us to understand. And you know, it's like at Blue Springs where I play, uh, number eight, number ten are the toughest holes. If I make bogey, fine. Particularly in competition, I'm not losing a stroke. In many ways, I might uh, be gaining. Yeah, I'm going to tell you if you make, uh, you know, again versus versus your peer group. Not a PGA Tour player. That 10th hole at Blue Springs, we've mentioned it a million times. People by now know, we know, by now understand it's a very difficult hole. Against your peer group, bogey is like you probably gain. That's You gain some something, a percentage. You know, you may not gain a full stroke, but you're going to gain some more than you'd think. Here's the thing about, and, and I had this conversation with somebody. I said, and this actually this concept came from uh, me talking about some stuff with Fitzsimmons and we were, we're talking about like if you take the, the if you're a six handicap take the six hardest holes in your course the the ones that rank one through six 
You're going to bogey them most of the time. Expect to bogey them because that's kind of your holes to bogey. That's why you get shots on those holes. So knowing that, and you, and you, and you put it beautifully, it, because being aware of statistical, how, the, 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 how it works, it, it does help your perception. In, in the decade world, we'd say it's, it's about your understanding, having a good understanding of what's expected from you and your handicap. So when we're, you know, at, at my course, uh, six Leith Field, I always think about it. It's 460 yards from the blue tees. Yeah. If, the, if the pin is at the back of the green, it's a 480-yard par four. Well, I'm a scratch golfer, but I'm still, and I'm, in a, but I'm old. So from those tees into the wind, I'm not trying to make anything but a five on that hole because for the day, in that moment, for any day, I should say, but especially when it's a back pin, especially into the wind, it's a par five, and I play it like that. And, and so you walk off that hole with five, and you don't feel inside of your golf body like you've lost anything. And that's a really important little thing to note over the course of the season. It's every time you, you know, don't do something bad, we'll say. Every time you, you don't three-putt is a, another notch on the statistical journey of lowering your handicap. Absolutely. Even if you've got a 15-footer to save your par. You feel like, man, I, I got a bit of bad luck. It didn't bounce onto the green. I didn't make a good chip. What happens in that moment psychologically is we try too hard to make the 15-footer. We hit it five feet by and we make a six. Rather than go, okay, bogey's okay. I don't lose a full shot. If I get this 15-footer somewhere near the hole and it happens to go in, bonus. But if I tap in the putt for bogey, doing that a hundred times over the season lowers my handicap. But most yeah, people, most people, because of that delayed gratification thing that Casey mm-hmm. was talking about, most people won't do it. Again, and, and so the other thing is to come back to say perception. Par, in so many ways, we've talked about this from time to time, par in many ways is arbitrary. Somebody decided, and it makes sense, you know, you have a hole that generally most people are going to hit in two shots. That's a par four. So if I don't make a if I don't make a four on the hole, does that mean that I suck and 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 I will forever be mired in my mediocrity? No, you just made a five that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh well, okay. It doesn't it doesn't diminish your enjoyment of it? That's that's why I'm um uh, be, I'm re- I just finished reading a very interesting book called the uh, the End of Craving mm. by Mark Schachter, and it's about it's about eating, um, but mainly it's it, it, just to, so I can be brief about it. It's it's how the food how f- we've changed our perception about food. It's all this wanting and craving mm-hmm. instead of really liking what we eat and eating things because they they genuinely taste good. And I think the same thing happens in golf. People are craving that their handicap goes down or they shoot a certain score and so thus they tend to there's a tendency to miss that there's an experience we can have playing golf that can include shooting lower scores and right i'm all for shooting lower scores <laughs> all for that but i also want to have a great experience with my friends i want to enjoy being away from my phone and being in the outdoors that if we lose track of that then it really diminishes the enjoyment we can have in golf. And I think just the more fun we have, uh, bonus. Yeah. We shoot lower scores. I think all of that is true. And, and you know, I, again, we're kind of getting to the end of uh, my availability. But I would just say that 
you know, I don't, I, I don't want to, I wouldn't say I dispute what you just said, that having fun and being outdoors and being with our friends and the community of golf and all that's fantastic. But the craving that golfers experience, the ennui, the, dis- the disappointment in themselves, the, all those things come from not having a, from what I, and again, I know I sound like a broken record, but you know, in 2017, when you and I took this seminar, it changed the way I thought about how golf is played. But last year really, you know, cemented it for me. If you, you know, I, I want to have fun. And I want to enjoy myself. I love being outside and I, and I miss that experience of being out of doors. But I'm really clear about what I'm doing out there, which is to shoot the lowest score I can every time I play. And, yeah, and now you're not a dickweed about what? it and you don't pout when you miss a shot. And it's no. not all about the score. No, I, I know because we all know I was a dickweed about it and did pout when I hit a, hit a bad shot. But what I'm trying to say is a lot of golfers are somewhere in between. You know, I've had some conversations recently with somebody who said to me, you know, if I have a bad front nine, then I'll try some things on the back nine, like, you know, try some shots and experiment with the thing. And I said, that's great. I, I like to do that, too. You know, when I'm dicking around with my buddy Tim or my buddy Paul and we're just playing around. And but I said, if I'm keeping score that day, exactly, I'm not going to do that. That's right. Because because. I don't want to just have a half a round. I want to know that even if I didn't have a very good round in terms of, you know, the score I'd like to shoot, I want to know that I conserved every shot I could. And Hey, that's just the way golf is some days. Yeah. And all I'd say to the people that are, well, I just like playing golf for fun. Why do we have to take it so seriously? That that's fantastic. If that's who you are, then don't keep score. Or if you keep score, don't be pissed off when it doesn't line up with what you thought it should be. Exactly. Well, I always come back to intention. What's your intention? You know, if you're playing in a member guest with a client, you're focused on your client having a good time. If you're focused on shooting a good score, well, you're going to screw up hosting your client. Yes. And if you're and if you go out in a, in a, a golf game and you're going to focus on what your right elbow is doing, uh, well, f- give up scoring for that day. The intention, but so to me, it's a it, it can it can include all of these things. If it's all about just the number that goes on the scorecard, I, I think actually we play worse uh, in, in many ways. And yeah, so and well, you know, the way yeah. my buddy Hendo used to say it to me, he says, "Are you gonna?" Hendo. I'd say, "Hey, I'm on my way to play men's night." He goes, "Are you gonna practice or are you gonna play?" I go, "What do yeah. you mean?" He said, "Well, are you gonna work on your game or are you gonna try and score?" I said, "Well, I don't know." I thought maybe I'd work on that thing. He goes, well, then don't keep, you know, then don't worry about the score. And I'd find it impossible not to worry about the score. But but I would say to him some weeks, you know, I'd have like a a GAO event that just finished. And I'm like sort of just cruising that that I'm going to I'm going to dick around today for the entire round. And if I shoot 81 or whatever score doesn't make me happy, I'm going to leave knowing that's what my intention was. Great, great word. I mean, sometimes I'll, I was telling this to somebody. Like, if you and I were playing, you know, I don't know, eight at Blue Springs, and I was kind of out of position there on the left-hand side, and I had a, a shot that I'd had to sort of punch down and then hook around or do something, I'd say, hey, Tim. I use, I've done this with people. I'd yell at you. go, hey, Tim, I would never try this for real. You know what I mean? I want you to know, because I'm telling myself, I'm about to try something that is ridiculous, but I just want you to know this is not for realies. Because for real, I chip out. Yes. 
that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's all, I love the fact that golf's about this community of people. But I also am very clear that even for funsies, if I'm trying to post a score, I'm going to make the decision. Hopefully, I'm going to stick to my decision-making process, even in a round that's fun. Because yeah. unless I've decided, as I say, I've decided at the start of the round that I'm just there to help you. I've done that with you a couple times. Played nine holes. Couldn't tell, you know, yeah. wasn't worried about my score. Because we're just talking. But even if it's the Saturday morning game, I'm trying to score the lowest I can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so, kids. Cool stuff. Um, so one thing before we go, yeah. I want to connect to um, a, sh- a friend, Sean Casey. Yes. Uh, I mentioned Nate Robinson. He's coaching out of there. He and I are launching the Quiet Mind Golf Program. Yes. It's, we're going to do um, we're going to do a, a session, a two hour session uh, per month at I love the acronym. Burlock Indoor Golf. Big. 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 <laughs> so that'll be um, just watch my website, ocarnagolf.ca, for some information on that. So that'll really be fun. So I'm just. Well, very good. Yeah. And um, again, thanks to everyone that reached out to me uh, to help them guide them through uh, the decade experience. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not for everyone. I was telling somebody yesterday. And I oh, said, you're 100% correct. It's not for everybody. It's, you know, like anything else, it's a lot of work and a lot of aggravation in in the early stages, you know, learning how to properly keep track of it all. And it's not going to be for everyone. But I think everyone can benefit philosophically from the idea that, you know, there are a few little things you can do that will definitely impact the way you score your ball. And isn't that, you know, part of what people are trying to do, even if they... And, and, and I will say this, a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the last 186 episodes will make even more sense once you're aligned with why you're actually doing, you know, what you spend your time doing. Yeah, and I, I just think that that, I think it's so cool that you're doing that. Uh, you love it, you know it, and you're a really good communicator. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not surprised you got a bunch of people already working with you. So all the power to you, man. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> I have to keep reminding these guys, you know, don't forget it. Uh, it was just last fall. I threw a seven iron into a forest. So you know, I haven't. <laughs> I'm still on the that path. Helps them relate to you. <laughs> that's right. No, I'm exactly. not that spiritual. Believe me. I helicoptered no. a seven. I had to go back after and get it. I know we're not gurus. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So thanks to uh, JW Apparel uh, Inc. and of course thanks to uh, TaylorMade. Uh, the new uh, clubs are uh, uh, they've been released actually today. Strangely enough, I think today is the day. Oh, you're right. On the 4th of February that everyone can get their own stealth drivers and uh, other stuff. Listen, man, we're going to tell you how it works and uh, can't wait to have uh, a full report. Uh, The next time we do the show will be from, I'll be in Palm Springs. Yeah, two weeks from safe today, travels, man. have fun. Be you know, I know I know that you can you said you're a six handicap boyfriend. Yes. I, I think you can get I think you can get down there to a four I don't know. at least. I don't even know if that's possible. Oh no, if you if you're based on your intent and your commitment. <laughs> yeah, it's like in the, in, in the relationship world, it's not little things often, it's just her thing only. <laughs> Whatever her thing only. Whatever that is, whatever her thing is, do that. Your thing doesn't matter. Uh, All right, everyone. Thanks very much. And, of course, O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com, and we'll see you next time.